Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. Richard Lane with you on Thursday, September the 8th. An important date because in two months' time, the United States of America will hold its national elections. I can't believe it. It only seems a few minutes since the last one. I'm delighted to be talking to our North American executive editor, Rebecca Cooney. Beck, welcome on the line from New York. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're launching a special US election hub online, which we want everyone listening to the podcast, if they haven't already noticed it, to go and have a look. It's going to be clearly visible from the homepage of thelancet.com. Very much we're going to be focusing coverage over the next two months about healthcare and the US election. But I think the real peg for that is the long leader in the latest issue of The Lancet, the upcoming issue of The Lancet, I should say, dated September the 10th. Actually, it technically comes out online today, September the 8th at 23.30 UK time, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in the States. And this is really a bit of a platform we're calling up, aren't we, as to, as to what the healthcare platform priorities ahead of this election. Is it fair to say, Beck, in a way, healthcare is almost an example of representing how the United States is at a bit of a tipping point because we've obviously had two um, periods of uh, Barack Obama and some reform, but also potentially if there's a change in government, it could be a tipping point for the way American healthcare is going to pan out. Is, is that in broad terms the way we're looking at it? Absolutely. I think when you uh, immerse yourself in these topics as we do, it's really difficult not to come away with a sense that we have reached some sort of precipice here. And it's this culmination and intersection of all all these macro level economic forces that are at play and then potentially really radically different political agendas that could emerge out of the the outcome of this election, both of which will very much bear on healthcare. And I think also the the gravity of what we're talking about here, which is is in essence sort of the prognosis for Americans' health and the system that we currently have in place, it really behooves us to to sit and think about this in a realistic and pragmatic way and to step back and think, what are the fundamental problems here and now? And especially in the context of this election cycle and the last eight years of just constant partisan strife, how are we going to fix this? The editorial, in a way, it focuses on three priorities, I think, to sort of really you know, distill it down to the essence of what we're talking about here. Do you want to just briefly mention these three areas and then we'll maybe discuss them in a little more detail? Sure. And I, and I think when we are coming up with these sorts of lists, it's not just a thought exercise or the Lancet's wish list for health, but I think it's really coming to grips with what are the overarching categories of how we could best direct efforts. And I think to that end, first and foremost, hands down, is to protect and refine the Affordable Care Act, even in the midst of but we've had some really pessimistic worst case scenario narratives that that keep getting pitched in the media from the perspective of the political establishment i think at this point now there is some consensus that repealing the affordable care act would be catastrophic and the best way forward is to reassess where it's working where it's not and make adjustments the second priority is to really think critically about how to bring healthcare costs down this is going to be really challenging because so much of the status quo of the 
way our healthcare system works is for profit. And for better or for worse, the health sector continues to grow. And we're going to have to make some difficult decisions and sort of re-envision what's probable without intervening and then what's possible and what could our healthcare system look like. Finally, the area of reinvesting in our biomedical research enterprise and how we connect that with our efforts abroad and our commitment to global health. Isolationism is not a good strategy for global health. And we've been really fortunate to have a president who understands that. But unfortunately, this election poses a real threat that could undo some of that commitment and progress. Thank you, Beck, for that overview. A little more detail on a couple of those points. Concerning continued reform and implementation of the Affordable Care Act, a lot of talk is now in America about, well, the problem with some of the insurance schemes, that some of the insurance schemes are basically bailing out and are not going to be available in some states. So because you've got provision done by states and and, and these insurance markets, if you haven't got providers, you've potentially got a problem with, particularly in areas where there's a lot of sickness or a lot of poverty, you might not have an insurance option. And there's a lot of talk about creating a public option, isn't there? Yeah. And I think one of the really frustrating aspects in terms of the challenges that the Affordable Care Act implementation presents and Medicaid, which it's really important to note here is a social welfare or protection program that provides health coverage to specifically to low income people. But what's been one of the greatest sticking points of the Affordable Care Act so far, um, and the current issues of these large private insurers pulling out of the marketplace is this notion that from an actuarial standpoint that we weren't able to predict who would be signing up for coverage. And so the chief complaint from some of these insurers is that the risk pool in in certain states and certain counties is sicker and poorer and more likely to use healthcare. And that problem really becomes severely compounded in the states where Medicaid could have been expanded but wasn't. And it may have at least to some extent ameliorated the marketplace issues that we're seeing. And it makes you wonder why this wasn't better anticipated. But I think the other thing to note here is that health insurance is really fundamentally different than car insurance. And it should be designed to use it towards prevention and routine care and not just simply catastrophe. So, and again, in states where we have high rates of non-communicable diseases and incidentally where Medicaid was not expanded like Mississippi or Tennessee or South Carolina, people are just going to need more care. And that comes with a price. Enter the, the revisit of a public option, which would be different than something like Medicaid, but that would give people a third option of a lower cost, but an insurance plan that would be paid for with premiums as opposed to being subsidized by the government. So that's something to watch. It's definitely only recently become a sort of a viable point of discussion. So we'll see how the, the candidates deal with that topic. The sort of second big area you mentioned earlier was obviously affordable health care, particularly drug pricing. I mean, we read about this all the time, particularly in the States. It is catastrophic, actually, isn't it? Some of the drug pricing scenarios going on with some of the brand drugs and the lack of affordability. I mean, you know, when you've got cancer drugs that might cost $100,000 a year, and if they're not being covered by insurance plans, it really can be literally catastrophic for individuals, can't it? Yeah. And the interesting thing about drug pricing is that it's become sort of this rallying point. It's one of the few things that both sides of the aisle can agree is is a major problem right now. Uh, But the issue is that how does any of that translate into effective reform? And that's really the open question. So I think we're in the fact-finding stage now. There have been 
plenty of high profile pricing situations in the past couple of years um, that I think critical mass has been reached. But the next step to get to actual reform, there are lots of legislative hurdles that would need to be agreed upon and enacted. And, you know, whether that is updating the Medicare Prescription Drug Improvement and Modernization Act of 2003 that prohibits Medicare from um, uh, negotiations for pricing with drug manufacturers or overhauling the patent protection process with the FDA. It's going to be a lot of work, a lot of effort, and it's really hard to tell what kind of political interference might look like. But I think it's pretty safe to say that it's going to be a challenging road ahead of us to actually get to that reform. And the other broad area, uh, just to mention that you, that you touched on it earlier again, again, the funding of America's biomedical program and global health leadership. I mean, you know, we haven't got time to talk much about that now, but it is important. And it ties in with the politics, I think, of your country, doesn't it? Because if you take, for example, Zika virus, which is, of course, a huge public health concern, particularly in states like Florida. And it's again, it's been in the news a lot. Recently, it's been very topical, this, because didn't a request for more funding for Zika uh, research get as far, get as far as Congress, but was then blocked when it was there. Yeah, and I think what's what's really interesting. So on one hand, we have sort of the the current uh, Zika virus funding issue, where the CDC is being forced to borrow from Peter to pay Paul, shifting funds around, basically because of political infighting. And in the meantime, we've had. 2,600 or so cases of Zika that had been acquired from travel, 35 locally acquired cases. So it can be really difficult to understand the motivation behind the uneven priority of funding when at the same time, you know, just recently we've been able to get these hefty new initiatives like $400 million for Alzheimer's research or $100 million for precision medicine. So it becomes very stark and a really good reminder that our research priorities can be subverted very easily by political machinations. And this can have long downstream effects for the people who are doing the research and ultimately Americans. And that impinges on the rest of the world as well. And just drawing it to a close, Becca, I suppose, and again, this may sound a bit simplistic, no matter who wins the election on November the 8th, of the two candidates, being president isn't enough, is it? You've got to have that party support and control in the two houses in in Congress, haven't you, if you're going to be able to push reforms through? Yes, very much so. And the other aspect about it, you, you know, especially where we have things like drug pricing, which is very much tied to what the legislation is. Getting people on board and coming to consensus is important. But I think also there is some sort of mobilization, whether or not it aligns to how people end up voting, but that Americans are beginning to really stop and think about their healthcare system and how it affects their health. And when you have, for example, you know, double-digit rate hikes for your health plan year over year, or 40% of Americans have some sort of outstanding medical bills where, you know, the number one reason for filing for bankruptcy is medical debt. You know that there is something really wrong with your healthcare system. It's not performing the way that it should be. And that's just one component of it is the, the metric of how much it costs. And so 
I think that is going to really drive people to reassess what that means. But it is such a challenging area for people to understand and to make sense of it that it it requires people to have a very acute understanding of the different components that go into that. And the other flip side and why it's really difficult to just vilify one component of the system or to call out just, for example, health insurance companies or something is that the positive part of, of all of this is health sector growth and that a lot of that is really feeding into and and potently driving our economy such that 18% of our GDP is healthcare spending. So that's nearly one in five dollars of our economy are tied to healthcare and tied to this extant system and that drives job creation and profits. So in order to to really be able to navigate this system, it's going to be important to find and have a president who understands how truly complicated and interconnected those components are going to be. And then to balance that against the need to prioritize Americans' health and improving the healthcare system. And that's the big challenge. Wow, that's one heck of a challenge. Something we're going to follow very closely over the next couple of months and beyond. You know, American health sector reform is something that will we'll go on and on and on, not just from now until November the 8th, but we obviously focus specifically on the imminent election in two months' time. So lots more to come. But in the meantime, Rebecca Cooney, our North American Executive Editor, many thanks indeed for talking to us on this week's podcast. Thank you.